dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. There are many ways to define the secrets of success, but Christians have their own definition. St. Paul lays it out clearly for us in his second letter to St. Timothy, chapter 4, where he speaks about the crown that is laid up for him in the Lord. Through all of his life and his many ups and downs, St. Paul witnesses that Jesus is faithful and has carried him through all of his adversities. His words of hope help inspire us in our own journeys as leaders. I think in the whole Bible, there are many wonderful passages that talk to us about leadership and that are inspirational, but few of them match the power of 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the last chapter in what many scholars hold to be the last letter that St. Paul wrote. Now, of course, that's debatable, but if you imagine that it's true, that this is the last chapter and the last letter of the life of this amazing apostle for Jesus Christ, When you read his words, they have an eloquence and a power that you find only in the greatest moments of of Scripture. And remarkably, that eloquence and power is in the context of St. Paul passing on his wisdom as a leader to St. Timothy, who is a leader following after him. He's, in other words, mentoring a future evangelist. And that's why it's important for us, the St. John Leadership Network, we're passing this on to you. Because you are the future leaders. You are those who are being trained by God through what you're doing right now to make his impact in the world. You're an instrument in God's hand in a uniquely powerful place. Your lives, and I want you to sit back and think, how many people are there in my family, right? And go ahead and list them off. Grandchildren, children, right? Number them. So I've got 27, right? So imagine that. Then go ahead and think, how many people are there in my company that I deal with every single day who depend on the decisions that I make? Some of you, it's five. Some of you, it's 5,000. And you think, well, okay, if I were to put all those people together and then put together all the people that their lives impact, you come to realize that the decisions that you make and the way that you lead has a direct impact and then an indirect impact on our culture in a major way. That's why you are in that position, is to shape the world according to the values and the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing opportunity that you have when you're a leader. And I want you to seize that opportunity as if it was a gift that God gave the world through you. The worst thing we can do is be in those positions of power and then not influence the world for him because as soon as we abdicate our ability to do so someone else fills that void and so we all need the mentorship of a saint paul in our lives we all need the voice of the word of god echoing in our ears and remember what saint paul said in chapter 3 of second timothy where he says the word of god is useful for instruction right and we need to understand what what's the point of reading the bible it instructs 
Okay, that's the modern day translation for what St. Paul just said to us. Okay, he said, if you want to know why you should read the Bible, you should read the Bible because it instructs you in righteousness. You need to understand scripture in order to live correctly as a leader in Christ's world. Well, in chapter four, it says this, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So keep your head in all situations. That's actually in Greek, it's nefe, which means it literally be sober. And sometimes you'll see that, or some translations have it as watch. But the word in Greek means be sober. Like do not allow yourself to become intoxicated. So obviously it means something much more here than the usage of alcohol, because we can become intoxicated by all kinds of passions, all kinds of emotions, all kinds of past baggage, that come and cloud our judgment. And St. Paul's looking at his future leader here and he's saying, Timothy, listen, be sober. Meaning use your rationality and the power of your mind in your leadership. Don't allow all of the, the, the distractions that can come our way from what is inside of us and what is outside of us keep you from the clear-sighted execution of your duties. And then, isn't that amazing? I think that's so, that's so refreshing to hear because so many of us today live and lead out of a space of our own interior emotions and our own past history and our own, the way that we feel about ourselves and the way that we feel about our world. And when we do that, actually we have a weaker impact because when judgments need to be made, instead of making them according to what's real, according to the objective standards that are out there or the true market conditions that are there or the true state of our staff, we end up making them because we feel guilty <laughs> or because we feel like we're going to hurt somebody or because we're really down about what we think, whatever it might be. We could also have ambitions. We could have a clouded judgment based upon our own greed. We could come into work feeling like we're a bad mom. And because we're a bad mom, we end up making judgments based upon bad self-esteem inside of ourselves, whatever it might be. How refreshing for St. Paul to say, listen, if you've got a lead, the first thing you need to do is stay sober. <laughs> stay clear-minded. Keep your head about you in all things. God's given you an intellect for a reason. And the, the thing that reason that reason has or what reason does is reason allows you to conform yourself to reality. When you let your mind be unclouded by all kinds of the distractions that come from inside of us and from without, we, we are able to make judgments that are accurate based upon what things are and how things really are around us. This is the essential quality of a leader. And this is coming from someone, St. Paul. He's sitting here in prison and he must be cold because in, in 2 Timothy 4, he actually asks him to bring the cloak that he left with Carpus at Troas. <laughs> I think it's amazing. St. Paul's sitting there and he's saying, winter is coming, which he mentions a little bit later. He says, winter is on its way. And so he asks St. Timothy, would you please bring my coat? Would you bring me my cloak? <laughs> the real practicality of things, you could say, St. Paul, my goodness, if you're sitting in a prison in Rome in winter, you know, you've got other things to worry about. And yet he keeps his head about him. And even here in this little, this little example, he talks about how hard it might be 
but he keeps his head about him. And we need to do the same, to not be intoxicated by whatever's happening going on around us. The first thing, if I'm gonna discharge my duties, is to remember that my, by my intelligence, I remain free and able to do so. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So trying to understand St. Paul's lessons to St. Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm struck by one of the most important lines, I think, in Scripture. And it's St. Paul's understanding of hope. I think it's so eloquent. This is at the end of his, of his career. And he shares with us a detail that kind of strikes us to the heart. He says in verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to my support but everyone deserted me. He mentions this several different times in his writings. The fact that he felt very alone. Here he was, St. Paul, I mean, the apostle of the Gentiles. He's equaled only by St. Peter, you know, the head of all that the Lord had in his church. And St. Paul's saying, everyone deserted me. I was left all by myself. And it's true when you look at the story of his life in Acts, he is abandoned. I mean, he always has a few faithful folks that are there. But when you see how at the same time, even the faithful folks can't endure the cross with Paul. He's alone in his prison cell in Jerusalem for three years before being shipwrecked on the Mediterranean by himself. Like, you know, and so he has his faithful people that kind of come and minister to him, but they're very few. And there's most of the time where he's left by himself. And if you think about it, even if he has his faithful few that come and see him, they only come to see him because he's pressing forward. He's leading. If St. Paul were to turn around and then say to them, look, I don't even know what I'm doing, they wouldn't be able to continue to minister to him. Even so, even his friends depend on him to have this mission and this sense of self that can only come from God. And when you think of the loneliness that that re requires, it's lonely at the top in a business. Well, it's lonely at the top when you're an apostle as well. And when you're St. Paul, and there's only one St. Paul to go around, the loneliness must have been very profound with respect to other people, and he felt it. Remember he says at one point, I've worked harder than the other apostles. I've had more imprisons, more, more imprisonments, more beatings, more labors. You know, he lists all this off. And it's, I can't think it's, it's without some pain because here he is pushing himself forward, looking around saying, isn't anyone with me? And in verse 14, he says, everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Immediately forgiveness. And then verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. We find St. Paul using that expression a couple different times in his life. The Lord came and stood by me. It's a, it's a beautiful phrase because it reminds us of the, that there's another protagonist in our stories. Yes, you're exposed. You're exposed to liabilities. You're exposed to legal threats. You're exposed to workers' comp lawsuits. 
you're exposed to unionization of your places, you know, forced unionization of your workshops, all kinds of different things that make you afraid as a business owner or as a business leader. Or if you're a worker, you're exposed to, to management that's poor. You're exposed to the vicissitudes of your manager's will. You know, you have all kinds, you have, you're exposed to maybe work hazard safeties. And when you blow the whistle of you losing your job, whatever it might be, there's a lot of exposure to standing for something. There's a lot of exposure in life and that exposure can make us want to just quit and curl up and look for safety instead of for impact or expression. St. Paul understood this. He was exposed too, but his life was not a story that he wrote alone. In fact, the Lord stood by him. There was another in, in his life who was bigger than him. And there's another in your life who's bigger than you. What an amazing message that we have in Christianity, that you are never alone and you're never abandoned, that there's someone who thinks of you more than you can think of even yourself and who knows you better than you even know yourselves. His name is Jesus Christ. God's love is for you. His love is upon the world. What an amazing message. I just never get tired of saying it. And I love to say it to business leaders because you often feel like you're the ones that are on the outside. I'm not even doing God's work. I'm just out there making a profit. You know, no, you are doing God's work. And the word of God is for you. Yes, you happen to make a profit off of it as well. But that profit has a purpose. And when God needs that profit, to, God has chosen to need that profit in order to advance his purpose. So it's not a profit isn't a problem. Not having a purpose with the prophet, that's a problem. But when you have a purpose with the prophet, well, then may you make that prophet and use it for his purpose. And all those things, though, I want you to understand that the, your life is not just you pushing forward with a great idea, that there's someone bigger than you. And if you lift, lift your heart and put it in his hands and you surrender your life to him, then the anxiety that comes with leadership and with owning your decisions can be mitigated by the trust that you're fulfilling a plan that's been laid out for you by God, a plan that he wants you to fulfill in his name and for his glory, and you're his instrument, which means that there's another one who's carrying you and that he stands by you. And Jesus is faithful. He's more faithful to us than we are to him. I remember a beautiful story. I saw a, a cloistered sister from a monastery in Toledo, Ohio. And this sister had been a sister for 25 years living in the cloister, which means she lives literally behind the walls. And you don't see her, no one in the world knows her, you know, or gets to interact with her except, you know, priests like me. And I got to talk to this sister on her 25th anniversary. And they had put roses all over their high altar there in the monastery. And 25 of them, right? And she said, I was kneeling there praying in front of the tabernacle. And I saw all those roses for my 25th anniversary. And I said to myself, you know what? It's actually 25 years of his faithfulness to me. Not so much my faithfulness to him, his faithfulness to me. And, and I thought, you know, isn't that the message we all need to hear? Because we can look at our lives a little bit egotistically, folks, you know, as our story written and large for God. And we can forget that actually our lives are even more his story written 
about his love for us. And that even if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. That gives us a strength, a tenacity in our leadership that comes and, and, and it strengthens our sense of purpose. If I really understand that he is faithful to me and he will not let me go, then what I'm endeavoring to do while on this earth becomes a hymn of praise back to him. A song of appreciation and gratitude that I sing for him and that he sings through me for his world. And I want you to grasp the sense of leadership because what you're doing, in other words, is a much bigger thing and has a much greater impact than what you can imagine just from your own perspective. Why is it that I work in a for-profit company selling whatchamacallits? Why is it that all I'm doing is creating these kind of, you know, I'm in a construction industry and I'm just building houses. You're doing much more than that. You're shaping a culture by your work, through your work, for God's glory. And that culture that you're shaping and how you approach the work and in the way that you produce what you produce and in the quality of what you produce is actually the work of God on the earth. And so what do you need to do? Well, he says, number one, stay sober. Nefe. Yeah, keep your head about you in all things. And then number two, persevere in fulfilling the duties of what God has given you to do. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So there's obviously a lot to admire about St. Paul and his approach to life, his approach to leadership, uh, his endurance, his grit. Uh, it's amongst the most famous examples in the Bible, actually. And, he, and it's always refreshing for me to bring back and emphasize to you that this grit and endurance is part and parcel of what God expects from us. St. Paul uses the term hypomene over 30 times in his writings, over 30 times. Hypomene, to, to endure through, to have excessive endurance, to have excessive, excessive grit as you cling to things. And you wonder, where does this come from? Because, boy, if we could ever channel that ourselves, right, in our own families, in our work environments, well, I mean, what if we had that same grittiness? Wouldn't we rise? I mean, when you look at your employees, the people that work for you, it's obvious that those who ex exhibit a determination to succeed and don't give up have an advantage for rising in their fields. Their bosses notice people who have dedication. And it's an uncommon feature. And I say this, especially for those of you who are younger and you wonder, how is it that I can succeed in the world? You can, if you demonstrate that type of grit in, in your endeavor, that dedication to success, you're going to stand out in your employer's eyes and you're going to rise in the field. So even from a real practical point of view, that makes sense. But St. Paul obviously is speaking about something much more profound which is the grittiness of faith and constancy in conviction for Christ in conviction of God and in conviction of, the, of your own position as God's instrument as a leader in this world. 
but it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard to demonstrate that kind of endurance. I think it's one of St. Paul's most, most winsome and beautiful features, and yet it's one of the, of the hardest things for us to imitate. Why? Because quite simply, when it, hard times come, they come with a convincing power that says that they are your fault. You are enduring difficulty because there's something wrong with you, right? That's what the, the voice that's in our head says. If I was really good, then I wouldn't be going through this. And that might be the case. It might be the case. Sometimes that's the case, but sometimes it's not the case. And when it's not the case, it's obviously a lie. And that in, in the, the, the change of scenery of shifting into a whole other position is not necessarily the right change. Sometimes we simply have to endure because we know that the foundation is right. And we know that the end goal is right. And if the foundation is right and the end goal is right, then the process itself, though it might need to adapt and bend, must not be thwarted. We, on the contrary, need to have this grit, gritty determination. So where does St. Paul get it? How did he get this? Well, he reveals it to us. Open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, and read one of the most eloquent and beautiful passages of Scripture. He says, For I am already being poured out like a libation. That is a, it's a drink offering, right? The way you offer a liquid substance to God is by pouring it out. It's a libation, right? So he says, I'm being poured out like a libation and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Now the words I want you to pay especially attention to are the, this word of righteousness. Dikaiosenes in Greek. The crown of righteousness, right? The stephanos, the crown of dikaiosenes, is this term righteousness there. It literally means the approval of God. So it's a, it's a righteousness, that's right, but it's one that comes from God specifically, which is why later on he refers to the righteous judge or the dikaios kritis. And the reason why this is so important is because this is the source of St. Paul's hope. He is looking forward to the approval, the crown, right, the stephanos, that God is going to give him. And I think this is so winsome because this shows that behind all of St. Paul's productive activity, the letters that he wrote, the voyages that he took, the churches that he founded, the disputes that he settled, right? The, all of the effort that this man did for God, walking, sailing, doing everything that he did for Jesus Christ and the gospel had its root in something deeper than his personal gain. It was rooted in love. He was looking forward and is looking forward in this letter to the crown, the approval, the righteous judgment that God who is righteous will give to him. There's a, a desire motivating this man into activity that's deeper than the rewards of the activity. It's, the, it's love and relationship. 
And I, I point this out because in his leadership lesson that he gives to St. Timothy, this comes at the very end. This is the final and last benediction and charge and monition that he gives to his spiritual son. And it's the testimony of his heart. I have fought the fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. And now I'm looking forward to the crown of righteousness that God, the righteous judge, will give me. And this is the same crown that all of the believers are looking forward to. He's motivated, in other words, by hope. And my friends, this is where your spirituality can have such an impact in your leadership. It's when you put your leadership and all of the activities that you do, the meetings, the schedules, the workflows, the confrontations, the constant grind, the getting up early, the going bed to bed late, all of those activities that come every day as, a, as the constancy, fighting through your head cold <laughs> as you have to type another report, throwing away a project that you spent two months on because it wasn't what the customer finally wanted. You know, all these different things that are just so frustrating and so difficult and yet make up the daily grind that we engage in every day when we're running a business. And I want you to realize and put all those things in something even deeper. I have a love affair with Jesus Christ. And this is my act of service to him. And the things that I do for his world by taking care and making products that, and rendering services that this world really needs, I do to him. I don't just sell whatchamacallits. I sell whatchamacallits to Christ. And I sell whatchamacallits for Christ. And I'm motivated in everything that I'm doing. I do as someone who is sound in conscience because I recognize that this is my act of service to my creator who put me into this world to till the earth, to keep it and to perfect it and bring about the completion of his creation in and through my own efforts. Folks, this is a glorious call. And we need to keep that hope alive in us that allows us to accomplish this call with determination, with beauty, and with excellence. And I think that's what St. Paul's letter really concludes us with. If we do all things out of love, we'll do all things well. If we do not have love, then we have nothing. Let us love Jesus then. Love God and put our hands to the plow as an act of love to him. This is bigger than me and is bigger than you. This is about God, our love for him, his love for us. And therefore we keep the hope that allows us to fight the good fight, run the good race, and run it all the way to the end. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.